0: Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold the glory God in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are Are you in a trial where you see no hope? Oftentimes we expect God to work according to our expectations in these circumstances, but we will see in the life of Saul, God works in unexpected ways. Join us now as we begin our journey in Acts chapter 9 with Cheryl Broderson. We will come. This part one of Cheryl's message, Unexpected Expectations.
1: We get set in our own ways, don't we? Come on, be honest, you do. Our expectations are often based on our own fears, aren't they? We're afraid of men, so when we pray, we ask them to be removed or destroyed. Ever pray prayers like that? Or we're so afraid of our circumstances that we want them removed or ourselves removed from them. Isn't that the truth? We don't think, Lord, take me through this. It's going to be glorious. We all know that scripture. When you see a trial coming, jump for joy. But I don't think any of us are quite there. But I think that there are times that we pray more about our plans than about the issue. Our expectations are so often based on our limitations. So we direct God to our human resources. Lord, Use this money and multiply it in the bank. So when I get my statement, it says million dollars more. You know, we're always praying according to our resources. Use my strength. Use my abilities. Use what I have. And God sometimes says, "Do you mind if I don't? If I go a little beyond that?" Yeah, I think about the disciples. They ran out of fish and bread. They had to. They had to get it from a kid. They had nothing. But we limit God so many times to our human resources. We come up with plans and schemes for God. Doable, doable. Ones that we think we could see. Lord, here's a possibility here. This is the way I think you should go. You know, I already have this. And if you just do this and that, and here's a scheme for God that is totally in the realm of possibilities. When our plans fail, or God doesn't work according to our ways, we are tempted to give up all hope, aren't we? Well, hmm. You know, Lord, it's just, this is a tough one. We're kind of like Martha. I still believe that you're Jesus. I still believe you're the Son of God. You just totally disappointed me. We're disappointed. We're angry. And we miss, we miss everything that God is doing. And we're left out at times, when he does work. I think of this story in Second Kings 6-7, through 7, when there was a famine in Samaria, and the king sent an ambassador to Elisha, and the king followed behind, and when they got to Elisha's house, Elisha said, tomorrow at this time, the famine is totally going to be over. God is going to work. And the man upon whom the king leaned... The king's advisor said, if God should open the windows of heaven, should such a thing be? And Elisha said, you will see it with your eyes, but you won't partake in it. And as you know, the next day, God God went beyond the natural realm. What happened is, the Assyrians had this huge campsite filled with all these soldiers. It was... Menacing Other kings had gathered together. It was an immense army. And these lepers who were outside the city wall said, you know what? If we stay here, we're going to die. And if we go into that camp of the Assyrians, we're going to die. So either way, it's the choice is die or die. So let's just take our chances. They went down to the Assyrian camp, and we're told that the Lord made it sound like a great army was coming. And the Assyrians all fled so far away, and left all their food, their horses, animals, clothing, money, they left it all. And when the lepers got into the camp of the Assyrians, they said, oh my goodness, this is fantastic. They went from tent to tent, finding it empty, but just supplied with food, empty of men and soldiers, but supplied with food. But after glutting themselves for a while, they began to feel really guilty when they thought about the people in Samaria that were still starving. So they went back to Samaria, and they said, this is what's going on in the camp of Assyria. Go and see. The king said, I think it's a trick. The advisor said, I know it's a trick. So they sent some men on the remaining horses in Samaria down, and the men came back and said, no, it's not a trick. We followed it all the way out to the river, and we found Euphrates River. They're gone. They have fled completely. And so they decided to open the doors of the city and let the people go out. Well, the advisor was trying to organize the people and he got trampled as the people rushed out to the food. In other words, he saw it with his eyes, but he didn't get to partake. But you see, God is always doing the unexpected And if we only live and look in the realm of expectations, we will be so disappointed. We're told about this danger in Luke chapter 7. Jesus said, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? You went out to see John the Baptist because he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. But earlier, John had questioned Jesus' divinity. Why? Because John was in prison and he couldn't see what Jesus was doing. So Jesus reminded him of all the things he was doing. The blind seeing, the lame walking, lepers cleansed, deaf hearing, dead raised, the poor having the gospel preached to them. When we set our eyes on our own ways and our own expectations, we will miss the greater picture. We will lose divine expectation and begin to live in the natural realm, which is miserable rather than the divine realm, which is glorious. And we will be constantly discouraged. I was talking to my oldest brother the other day, and I said to him, you know what? It dawned on me today that I live in a world where the supernatural intersects with the natural. In this world, there are prophets, apostles, teachers, pastors, saints, and no ordinary people. That's the realm we're called to live in, a realm with no Ordinary people. When we interact with other people, we are either interacting with saints or sinners, and neither of those are ordinary. And God wants to work beyond our means. We live in a world of possibilities. God makes the impossible possible and opens up all sorts of possibilities to us. As he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? I like the first word, behold. In other words, God is saying to Jeremiah, Get your eyes off of yourself and off your circumstances and look at me. Look at me. Did you ever do that to your kids? Look at me. Just look at me. You know, I I had a daughter. I remember she was in a full panic because of a sunburn. She was like, ah, totally out of control. And I remember just grabbing her going, look at me. This is solar cane. You're going to be all right. It's got aloe vera in it. He'll calm down. But, you know, sometimes we get, ah, it's terrible. We're going down. And God has to say, Behold. Look at me. Fixate right here. He says, I am the Lord. Lord, I am Yahweh. I am the sufficient, the all sufficient, the great I am. Whatever your need is, I am. Whatever you need, I am. We must realize that we are dealing with the almighty God. We are not dealing with our husbands. They've got lots of limitations. (laughs) We are not dealing with ourselves. We've got even more limitations. We are beholding the almighty God. And he says, I'm the God of all flesh. I am the creator. I put this all in motion. I created every heart. I created every life. I created every star in the sky. I was just reading this morning about this new microscope that all the scientists can't wait to get. It's called the Kepler's, um, sorry, telescope, bigger. But the telescope, and with this Kepler telescope, they are seeing new planetary systems in the sky. They're seeing more stars that resemble the sun. And all of a sudden, the universe is bigger and grander than they ever realized. Oh my goodness, that is our God. He conceives suns. He conceives planets and universes, planetary systems in order. Our God conceives DNA, eyes and hands and muscles and skeletal systems. You know, Richard Dawkins, the famous atheist in England, he said, you know, really, the the eye is a very um, simple organism, you know, not, not anything special. Yeah, well, you make one. <laughs> because, you see, it's a concept that man has never come up with. They are only copying what they see when they do a camera. They are copying what God has already done. Now, the early church had a big problem. It was an overwhelming problem this problem was greater than any opponent that we have faced here in the western world this was big and it had a name and the name was Saul of Tarsus he was violent He was a Roman citizen which made him untouchable by most Jews. He had the sanction and the protection of Rome behind him. Not only that, but he had all authority from high priest. He had religious and civic authority. He was zealous. He was energetic. He was relentless. Nothing seemed to thwart, stop, hamper discourage Saul of Tarsus. He would go storming into houses without prior notice and arrest men and women. We're told that he created havoc every place he went arresting people, forcing them to blaspheme and he was exceedingly by his own terms as he recounts his testimony in Acts 26 11 exceedingly a enraged against believers. And because of him, the church was forced to scatter. He was the one who consented or actually drove them on, was encouraging the death of Stephen. How would you pray for a man like that in your life? I've got a couple of suggestions. Send him to an early grave, paralyze him from head to toe and make him unable to talk to. destroy him move him to siberia you know that is that's the way i'm tempted to pray about the opponents and the things in my life i doubt that any of those early believers thought about lord save him turn him around It must have seemed beyond the realm of possibility to think of Saul as anything other than what he was because Saul was entrenched in who he was and he was self-righteous. I think there's no one harder to reach than someone who cannot be wrong and thinks they're always right. It is a good thing that in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus added this, and I think of this as the, the most one of the most important clauses. When he says, Thy will be done on earth in heaven. James said that we need to add that to all our prayers, if the Lord wills. Lord, you do your will. Because our limited expectations and vision We'll limit our prayers, limit our faith, and limit our activity for Jesus. We want to behold the Lord God with whom nothing is impossible. God is always doing the unexpected. Have you noticed that in your life? It's like, this is not the way I would have done it. Okay, but this is not the way I would have done it. In Habakkuk 1.5, God says, look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe though I were told you. He said, Habakkuk, I'm going to do something that you never even thought about, that wouldn't even come into your mind. And when I tell you, you're going to go, really? Are you sure? But God says, I know what I'm doing. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, I'm sure you're familiar with this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God thinks bigger than we do. As we said earlier, he thinks of planetary systems. He thinks of skeletal systems. He thinks of atomic particles and mountains, and billy goats, and dinosaurs. All of those things, God conceives and brings them to pass. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, Paul, quoting from Isaiah, says, Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. In other words, It hasn't even entered your mind or heart what God's got ahead for you. So you need to expect the unexpected. But know this, that the unexpected from God is good. The unexpected from God is a better way. Oswald Chambers said, and so send I you, God always chooses the best way. If there was a better way, God would have done it that way. Expect the unexpected. So what does God do with the early church problem? He transforms him. He transforms him. He absolutely changes him from head to toe. Think about it. At this time, Paul is stronger than ever. Jerusalem has become too small. Oh, I've already created it there. Where can I create it now? I mean, this is his mindset. He's conquered Jerusalem. Now he wants to conquer other places. He has the authority to go to Damascus and now create havoc in Damascus. And he's on the way with his confederates. These are men who are also stirred up like, yeah, go, go, get him, get him, kill, kill, kill. That's their mindset. And they're very near Damascus. They're ready to enter. The clock is ticking for the believers in Damascus. They know he's coming. And suddenly, oh, don't you love that word? Suddenly, without warning. Now, Paul has burst into houses suddenly without warning. But now God is going to burst into Saul's life. And we're told that a bright light shines around him from heaven. And Saul falls to the ground. Oh, that immediate humbling. He cannot stand in the light of Jesus Christ. And a voice speaks to him, and he alone can discern what the voice is saying. Others hear but cannot discern. Some people say this is because God was speaking in Hebrew, and these were Hellenist Jews who spoke Greek that were with him. And Paul, being a scholar, would know Hebrew. We don't know for sure. But we know that Paul heard the voice, the men heard the voice, but they couldn't discern. I wonder if in Paul's, Saul's mind, as he began to think over these circumstances, if it reminded him at all of what happened to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 at the Tigris River. There, when Daniel was an ambassador, suddenly the presence of God came. And we're told that the men with him fled away. They didn't know what they were hearing or seeing or feeling. They just had to get out of there. And Daniel was left alone and he fell on his face trembling. And he had a vision from God. But the voice speaks to Saul and it calls him by name twice. Now in the Hebrew, when a word was repeated, it would mean the completion of something. You no doubt remember the verse in Isaiah 26, he will keep him in perfect peace. And the perfect peace whose mind is set on him. In the Hebrew, it's actually he will keep him in shalom, shalom. Perfect peace. So when God is saying, Saul, Saw, He is identifying him completely. In other words, Jesus is saying, I know you thoroughly. I know your heart. I know your motivations. I know your background. I know what you've done. I know what you're planning on. I know you thoroughly. And he says, why are you persecuting me? Jesus so completely identifies with his people. Do you understand that Jesus is saying, he who touches you is touching me? In fact, he, said, he actually said, don't take it personally. It's all about me. It's not about you. But we take it so personally. (laughs) It must be my crooked teeth. You know, we just think, you know, there's got to be some reason that they're picking on me. Bad hair day. I don't know. But Jesus is saying, don't take it personally. This is about me. But I take it personally because it's about you. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus thoroughly identifies with the persecuted church. And we see that this is so much bigger than Saul. That Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? Or the Greek word here is kurios, which is the same as Lord, Yahweh, the I am, the all-sufficient one. Saul is already willing and ready to bend the knee. There's already a change in attitude, submissive. He's already saying, Uncle, I give. I give. This is greater Than anything Saul has ever seen or come up against. And Jesus identifies himself, I am Jesus. He could have said, This is Jesus, or he could have just said Jesus. But do you notice he says, I am Jesus, Lord Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I love this. This is such an alteration from what we've seen before. Suddenly it's, Who's in trouble now? Guess who just became the victim? And Jesus identifies Saul. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. I've seen it all. Now, goats, this was a stick that shepherds used that had um, nails coming out of it. And they would gently prod the sheep. A little harder. And remember, they're woolly. They're not feeling this too bad. But... To get them in the right direction, especially the stubborn sheep. They would use these goats to get the sheep where they want. So Jesus is saying, I've been trying to get you where you're supposed to go. And you have fought it and fought me and fought my people and my church all the way. Saul had been under conviction. He had been reading the scriptures, but denying what he read. He had been seeing the bold testimony of believers, but denying what he saw. He had been hearing the proclamation of believers. He had heard Stephen's irresistible sermon on Jesus, but he had been denying what he heard. He had been feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but denying what he felt. And perhaps this was behind his blind rage. He was in a rage because spiritually he could not see, he could not feel, he could not hear. But God knows what is going on in the mind of Saul and in the heart of Saul, just as he knows everything that's going on in the mind of men and the heart of men. I think those who scream the loudest are often those who are under the greatest goading by the Holy Spirit. We find that Saul is now trembling and astonished. This is such a divine encounter, such a powerful intervention by Jesus Christ. And Saul immediately volunteers for service. Lord, curios,
0: Master, what do you want me to do? In our world of perceived impossibilities, we often tend to pray according to our own resources. But the Lord reminds us in Isaiah 55:8 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So get ready. God is about to work in your life in unexpected ways as He did with Saul. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study with Cheryl Broderson. If you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply visit our website at graciouswords.com or call 1-800-733-6443 and refer to it by name, which is Unexpected Expectations. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, Cheryl will continue her teaching in Acts chapter 9 with her message, Unexpected Expectations.